The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. The last two weeks, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and in that chapter we have found there to be quite a bit about marriage many different aspects of marriage. The purpose of marriage, sexual intimacy in marriage, the abiding nature of marriage, how it's not to be ended, broken. Paul's taught all those things, and we've been listening. But as we've looked at each of them, we've also repeatedly noted that this is existing in a context. There's there's a a bigger picture here. It, It applies to marriage. He's on marriage, and in the coming weeks we'll be on marriage and singleness. But there's something bigger going on, and we're going to look at that this morning as we look at verses 17 to 24. We're going to look at that issue directly. To be specific, it seems that what was going on in Corinth, something like this. Some people in the church were taking some of the views of the the society in which they lived that highly valued different status and standing and and accomplishment and attainment and viewed that as the good life. Some people had evidently taken that and had tied it to Christianity, joined with other people who had taken certain philosophical views, particularly views about the, the desire to avoid the physical realm, particularly the sexual realm, and had taken that and joined it to Christianity. What, what, you mix that around and what came out of it seems to have been something like we as Christians now live above, separate, distinct from the world and we rise up and accomplish. Or we should rise up and accomplish and leave all this other stuff behind. Leave behind our various responsibilities. Leave behind marriage and some things in it. We grow, we we change, we acquire, and there's the good life. There's where God meets us and blesses us. Seems that it was something like that. It's not specifically stated what the problem was, but the answer to it is stated specifically. Here in our section, he speaks to Corinth, but he speaks to us. So if you look at verses 17 to 24 we're going to find is Paul responding perhaps to that scenario in Corinth, responding saying, no. There isn't this Christian process of of moving and attaining and achieving and leaving behind. You don't have to advance and grow to find me and to find the good life. You have a life right here. Live in it. Embrace it. Stay in it. With me there. You can see the application of marriage. If you're married, stay married. Look at that last week. God aims to free us in this passage from from a, a burden of living. To make this, to put this into modern language, a burden of living that looks something like If only, then finally. 
If only I could move to, change to, advance to, acquire, then finally I would know life. Then finally I would experience God in His fullness and all of His blessings. But not here. There. If only. He wants to say, right now, here, in this life, where you are today. Here, you can and are supposed to walk with God for His glory and for your joy. That's what we're going to look at today. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17-24. Let me read the passage, and we'll pass back through before I make a couple of observations. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. 1 Corinthians 7. So the big picture first. The passage is built with a very clear, observable structure. If you look, you'll note verses 17, 20, and 24 are all very similar and are making the same point with a a repeated command. And then stuck in between those three commands are two illustrations. So what he's saying, what he's getting at, is rather clear. But there are some details that we should note to kind of flesh it out a little bit. Verse 17, first sentence introduces us to two separate ideas. There are two things here. There's a situation given by God, a life situation, and I'm going to use, throughout today, I'm going to use some terms like condition or status or standing interchangeably. There's a life condition given by God, and there's a calling given by God. And some of our English translations may mistakenly present that as if it's one and the same. It's not. The the grammar is very clear, and if you have the NAS, you probably have a leg up on this, which is another plug for studying with two English translations side by side. Clearly, there are two things going on here. There are two clauses, two different members of the Trinity in two different tenses giving two different things. There is the giving of a life, an assigning, he says, 
of a life status or condition. And there's a giving of a calling. We saw back in chapter 1, verse 9, a calling of a person into fellowship with His Son. God the Father gives a calling. This is salvation He's talking about. Two things, a life situation and a calling to God that happens in that life situation. They're two distinct things and it works on throughout the passage. And the point is that since each one of us, I mean, if we were to look across this room or look across the Corinthian church, each one of us was in a different condition, a different life assignment, a hundred, a thousand, a million different slices of life over here when God gave the same calling, the same one, the same thing, all different, the same then none of this is decisive or limiting or advantageous if we all got this. This is all relativized. That's the point throughout the passage. Whether a man or a woman, a Jew or a Gentile, a slave, free, rich, poor, married, single, educated, illiterate, he did the same thing to all of us over here. If you're a Christian. Which means you're supposed to do something with this and not worry about it. The rest of verse 17 says, what are you supposed to do? Well, there's a command there. It's the command repeated three times. In this condition, he called you, live in it. Walk in it. That's the the continuing, ongoing command. Right there, stay there. Walk in it. It's the verb. The ESV says, I think, live this life. Lead this life. It says the same thing down in verse 20. Each one should remain, if you look at 20, in the condition he was when he was called. Stay there. Remain there. Same thing, verse 24. So, brothers, whatever condition you were in when you were called, remain there with God. That's the command. Three times. And then he sticks in two illustrations. Try to make this clear. First, he comes to the example of circumcision, which is the perfect example. Because if you're thinking about, I was in a condition over here, but I need to somehow change or advance or move so as to find more of God. Circumcision in that time period, the perfect example. Not so much today, but back then, many people, particularly as the church was, was struggling with its Jewish roots, many people were thinking, well, you know, circumcision is, is important. Circumcision marks out the covenant. Circumcision determines who God is for, who He's with, who He blesses, right? Circumcision would be the thing that you should have to do if you want more of God. You want to experience the better life. And Paul just throws it all away. 
And it's a perfect example because this is a largely Gentile church. And like any illustration, what you're trying to do with an illustration is make something confusing clear. So most of them by this point would have said, oh, I get it. If you were circumcised over here or you weren't, doesn't matter. Don't try to change any of that. It doesn't matter. And, and it would have been, a, a Jewish reader would have been aghast at that. How can Paul throw away circumcision? And we could explore a lot in, in another sermon. How can Paul separate circumcision from commandments? Tells us a lot about how he views the law. That's another discussion. But he does. He just throws it away. It doesn't matter. What, it, what matters is obeying God. And a Gentile says, oh, I get it. I was saved. I was called. I was given the Spirit. God is at work in me and amongst us. And I wasn't circumcised when he did all that. Oh. So I didn't need to change to know the fullness of God. Okay. And the second example, slavery, verse 21. Were you a slave when God called you to Christ? Don't be concerned about that either. Which is slightly different than what he said about the circumcision. Circumcision, he said, don't change. But a slave doesn't have the option of changing. Even when he gives a little qualifier about if you can obtain your freedom, he's not saying to the slave, if you have the chance to escape, or if you have the chance to somehow make a choice about... Slaves don't make choices. They have owners that make choices for them. He's saying, if you are liberated, great. Take advantage of that. Which is an indication that he's not really against changing our life condition. That's not the problem. So we'll develop that more. But the main point is, don't worry about it. So you're a slave. Ah, that's okay. Because it doesn't matter for what's really important. If you were a slave, Christ bought you and set you free. And if you're a free man, Christ bought you and owns you. Either way, if you're a slave or free, either way, he equally has paid a price at the cross and grabbed you to himself and saved you. So don't worry about it. Whatever condition you're in, remain there and walk with God there. Experience the fullness of God there. That's the passage. Stuck in the middle of a whole bunch about marriage. So, so marriage doesn't leave us, but I'm not going to talk about marriage this morning. I'm just going to talk about the central issue, change. And do I have to, or why don't I have to, change to find the fullness of God? I'm going to break this apart and make two observations, as I often do. And here's the first one. All of God 
is equally accessible in whatever life condition He has assigned to you. All of God is equally accessible in whatever life condition He has assigned to you. And God does indeed assign life conditions. It says so right there in verse 17. We saw this before up in verse 7 where we talked about the gift of marriage and the gift of singleness. God gives both. But here he's got the word assigned. That's a pretty direct, I assign this to you. You didn't stumble into it. God gave it. Every single thing about you. He is your Creator. And He Himself knit you together in your mother's womb. Your genetic makeup that we can't see and the physical attributes that we can. Whatever advantages or maladies are present in your life, in your very makeup, the aptitudes, the, the weaknesses, all of it, He wove together when, when He created you. And then He has shaped that all throughout your life in His providential, sovereign hand on you. Providence is a big word for how it is that God rules the world to accomplish His purposes through the actions of people. God providentially rules the world, accomplishing His purposes, what He intends to happen as people and animals and weather, etc. works. And He has brought, He has assigned to you your life condition, not just through your creation, but also through providence, touching every single moment of your whole life. All the circumstances that have come your way. And I said it very carefully. All. Even the hard ones. The Bible does not shy away from this. I need to say this very carefully. But to be honest, the Bible says it. All of your life conditions. Take the example of Joseph in the Bible. Were people involved making sinful choices? Absolutely. And the Bible is clear that God put Joseph in charge of Egypt by putting Joseph in prison, by putting Joseph in slavery. The providential hand of God working through the sinful actions of people accomplishing the purpose of God in Joseph's life assigning to him a life condition. Same thing with Job. Same thing with Jesus, including the cross, the greatest evil of all time. Planned by God, executed by the sinful action of people. So very carefully, we cannot even remove the hard things that make up our life condition. What God has assigned to you comes from His hand. For His purposes. 
And there is much that could be said about that. Your mind probably races with all kinds of questions that we could ask. The hows and the whys. But in this passage here, Paul takes this in a particular position. He has assigned to you a life. And what he does with that assignment of life to you and to me and to him and to her, what he does with that is he equalizes all of them. Circumcision, which is tremendously important. It's about a heritage and a culture and a history. Doesn't matter. You circumcised, you uncircumcised, both have equal access to God. Equal ability to do the thing that is important to keep the commandments of God. Slavery, owned by someone, told what you can do and how you can do it and when you can do it and what you can say and what you can wear and where you can live, controlled. And even that does not limit or inhibit in any way what is most important in life, your communion with God. He's equally accessible in both places, so don't worry about it. Now, as an aside, I I perhaps need to point out something. The fact that I'm talking about God equally accessible, all the conditions in life being leveled, exists in a larger context and must not be used in any way to kind of justify sin. He says, remain where you were when you were called. Well, I say say this because I'm sure somebody will want to do this with me. If he found you in the midst of a, a biblically explicit sinful situation, his command to you would be, leave that and sin no more. Not stay there. So, There's a context here. Don't twist this to justify remaining in or embarking upon a life of sin saying, hey, I can meet God just as well there as I can over here. He's just as accessible. The pastor said so last week. You can walk away from God into sin. You can walk away from God into rebellion. You can grieve the Spirit. That's all true. That's the rest of the Bible. Paul's talking about The conditions of your life, the life stage you're in, the job you have, the marriage you have. Inconsequential for the most important thing relating to God. So don't misunderstand here. He is equalizing all these things and that should cause two responses in us. One of encouragement and one of exhortation. Encouragement is... Think about where you are. God is there too. Completely. He is fully there. 
There is no area of human existence and there is no place where you are that is off limits to God or out of bounds that you need to come back from to commune with Him. I heard a story recently. It was, it was a story about a, a man who just won the Medal of Honor, I think, posthumously, I believe. And he was trying to communicate via the military's communication system with outside help. But where they were in this deep valley in, I think it was Afghanistan, there was no reception. And so he had to move out at great jeopardy to himself into a clear spot and was killed there. Where he was in safety, secured, he couldn't access the outside. That's not your case. That's not your problem. Wherever you are hidden, whatever deep crevice you live in, whatever cave you've, you've fallen back into or, or purposely withdrawn into, there you are, right with God, in all of its fullness, talking to you. You don't have to go somewhere else to find Him. He's not waiting and saying, I will not deal with you there. Now, again, the caveat. It could be that you walk off into sin and he says, come out. We're talking about that. Whatever hopeless situation you were in, whatever kind of lostness you're experiencing, right there, talk to God. He's available. Accessible to you in all of his fullness. So come to Him. So an encouragement there and an exhortation. An exhortation that catches a lot of us. I, th- I think particularly, I don't know, but I think particularly in our world right here. The idea that out there somewhere is the green pasture. The sweet spot of life is just over there. And I need to go to it. And when I get there, I'll know joy and contentment and peace and rest right here is not good. But over there is beautiful. The grass is greener there. And he says, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. Because I'm right here with you. And the only reason you want to go over there is that you want to run from something. You want to evacuate the premises because there's a problem right here that's uncomfortable for you. I'm here. Don't run over there. Stay. Often, brothers and sisters, I just encourage you, examine your changing. We change jobs, we change churches, we change spouses. Because the next one will be good. When the source of goodness is right here in this job, in this church, in this marriage. Stay. Stay. 
He's just as accessible here as he is over there. And you're going to find the same problems over there because they're going to go with you. They live in here. He has you someplace. He has put you someplace. And it's different for every single one of us. And right there in that place, God is just as accessible as anywhere else. Don't run from it. Stay there and don't despair. And staying there, what do you do? Well, that's the second observation. The second point. Walk with God in the life you have focused on Christ. Walk with God in the life you have focused on Christ. There's a what and a how there. What first? This is the repeated command of 17, 20, and 24. They're all pointing to the same conclusion. Uses the same continuing command in 20 and 24. Remain, right there, remain. Continuing, ongoing command. So I want you to stay. And, and where he doesn't use the word remain in verse 17, he uses the word Walk. Walk in that life, which is essentially the same thing. Stay there. Walk, which is a very common way that Paul expresses the Christian life. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received, Paul says elsewhere. So walk right there in the very end, verse 24, with God. Not just responsible to God, with Him. Joined to Him. Walk with Him there. That's, that's where the command is pointing us. Walk with God in the life you have. Stick with that one. Walk in that one. To walk with Him is... His call on your life. He calls you into fellowship with Him and then that begins a journey. But to leave the metaphor, what does, what does walking on this journey actually mean? What does it mean? Think about that. It means to live, to conduct yourself daily, mindful of Him, dependent upon Him, Submitted to Him. Giving your all for Him. Aiming to please Him deliberately. Aspiring that your life would result in God's glory here on this earth and in heaven as the spiritual beings watch 
It's about a relationship, a communion with God that is about God. Walk with Him. It is not opposite, fundamentally about yourself. It is not a life lived picking and choosing from those things of God that you enjoy. To walk with Him is to relate to Him both simultaneously as subject to King and friend and brother. Both of those things. To walk with God. Think about this. And I hear the rain falling on the roof. I think... I enjoy thinking when it rains. So stop, and as the rain falls, think for a minute. He has come and grabbed you so that you would walk with Him. In this life, Not discontent and churning for something else that will surely be better. In this life, right here, the place where you are, stay there with Him walking. The fullness of God is available to you today where you are. A relationship that He has called you into. It's a marvelous thing. Be on your guard as as you hear, as you think about walk with God here. Be on your guard against this thinking that will rise up because it is the common thinking of the world. This thinking that will rise up that says, Yeah, yeah, that's nice. That's great. I I love the idea. Okay, that's beautiful. The idea of walking with God, that's wonderful. And when I grow up and become an adult, when I leave home and go to college, when I graduate and get a real job, when I get married, when my marriage improves, when I buy a house, when I buy a better house, when we have kids, when the kids leave home... When the grandkids come, when I finally retire, then the walk with God that is beautiful and joyful and a life of rest and peace will finally come. Hallelujah. That sneaks in the back of your head every moment of every day. You're talking about remain here and walk with God. That's great. But, but I can't remain right here because right here is cruddy. So is being a slave. Being a slave back then was different than being a slave in recent American experience. But let's get real. Being a slave has never been awesome. And Paul says, don't worry about that. So I'm at the the what here. What is walk with God here? Oh, here. 
Yeah, but you don't know what my husband's like. My job is like. Eh, don't be concerned about that. What are you talking about? How insensitive is that? Paul just said that to slaves. Don't worry about that. Easy for you to say, Paul, you're free to wander the Roman world. He says this to you. He doesn't know your spouse or your job, but he says, don't worry about it. Walk with God right there and enjoy Him and bring Him glory and depend on Him and hope in Him. That's the what. How in the world can I do that? What does He say? What does He say? Don't be concerned about that. Then He gives a little exception. For He who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Where does he go here? Where does he go? Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Man, it's like Paul doesn't know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's exactly like that. Don't worry about that. Christ died and bought you. Slave, free, married, single, whatever. Don't worry about that. Christ died and bought you. And it's turned upside down whatever's wrong about your world. So you're a slave and you're free in Christ. You think you're free, huh? You're a slave in Christ. Christ bought you, set you free from sin that you might live to righteousness, says Peter. Set you free from yourself, free from enslavement to the world. So brothers, don't be slaves of men anymore. He says that to people who are slaves of men, indicating he's not talking about physical slavery. They are slaves of men physically. Don't be slaves of men here. You're freed from that. Freed to right now in the midst of hardship, walk in joy, sorrowing, ever rejoicing. The what? Walk with God right here. How? By a miracle happening. God miraculously changing your heart and your minds that the thing that controls you is not the circumstances of this world, but the deliverance into fellowship of a God who is awesome that has been won for you. Freedom from all of this and enslavement to Him has been won for you. You know that the miracle that's required is that God would make that matter. You know that the miracle that is required is that God would, by His Spirit, so move in you that that would matter. When what creeps in the back of your head is, that'd be great when 
No, now. You have it now. You have Him now, just as accessible here as He will be then and there. Walk with Him now. Enjoy Him now. Delight in Him now. This requires a miracle. For God to change our hearts that they would be so ordered that when we come to verse 22 and 23, your heart sings. I have been set free. And I have been bound to another. I have been redeemed by Christ, my wisdom, that is, my righteousness, my sanctification, and my redemption, He has set me free. I've been redeemed from all of this and then empowered to live in it with Him and for Him. I can talk all day about that and all it is is me talking all day about that. Unless God in a moment would move you, that it would matter. And so my hope and my prayer is that God would grab you so that what He has done at the cross for you would be infinitely more important than that husband you have or job you have, don't have, aspire to. I was working through this passage, wrestling with it, because I was trying to figure out, how does this land on me? Where does this come to for me? And I realized that in some ways it revolves around the best year of my life. As soon as somebody says that, you know they're about to fall into this passage. The best year of my life, because it's in the past. It's not today. The best year of my life is when we lived overseas and were involved with a, a tremendously tight ministry community and in some marvelous, challenging, eye-opening, awesome work. And I struggle with, the thing that creeps in the back of my head is, oh, the best year of your life, comma, not like now. <laughs> Isn't that how the sentence is finished? Not like now. And I'd love to run back 10 years ago to that or figure out how to make that happen next year. That'd be great. But right here, right now, I'm skittering away from Where's that going on in your life? God wants you to walk with Him right now. What's the best, comma, blank, maybe that year, job, person, relationship, experience that you dream about and, oh, remember the good old days and hope to come again, but right here, not content. What is that for you? God wants to meet you in that. 
And He'll show Himself to you remarkable in that. Today, here, remain with Him. And if He tomorrow assigns to you a different life, which He may, it's, this is not contra-change. It's contra-change for the wrong reasons. If He assigns to you a different life tomorrow, you remain with Him in that life. Walk with Him. Walk for Him. Delight in Him. Here. Now. Let me pray. God, would you give rest to your people? And would you give us an awareness of your presence right now with us? Would you give us a contentment in our right now situations? Father, I don't know where this, how this falls on all the different people in this room. But I ask you that you would remove, from, from some here I think, that you would remove angst and a troubled heart. It's coming from the situation they're in at this moment. Remove that from them by reminding them you're here with them. Meant to be enjoyed right now, not after the trouble's over. Give them rest. Lord, would you shape us as a church, as a people, to be content with you, to trust you and walk with you. You are our God, our Savior, the great contenter of our souls. So help us, we pray, and be honored in our midst. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.